You are listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open with me because we are continuing a series in which I'm just able to join in. I'm very grateful for that um, uh, as well. In honor of God's word, not of the person reading it, but in honor of God's word, would you stand as I read to us from Luke chapter 18? I'll begin reading in verse 31. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near Jesus, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. You can take a seat. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear directly uh, from you. If there's anything that I'm going to share today um, that is not true, it's not an accurate reflection of your word, then I pray that you would just cause it to go in one ear and out the other, that we would forget it and never dwell upon it again. Lord, anything that is from you, anything that you want to teach us, we ask that you would bury it deep within our hearts and that we would become doers of your word rather than just hearers only. We love you. Not nearly as much as you love us, but we love you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, it's been a great series for me to get jump-started on. I had to do this series in a little shorter time than you've had. You've had multiple weeks to go through it, and I had a little over two weeks to get the series and to find out where we were going and, and do it. So this is just a brief uh, recap. I'm so thankful for what you guys have been taught. By the way, you know this already, but you have wonderful teachers. You have preachers and teachers here who are faithful to God's word and do just a fantastic job of saying it. So this is what I've I've heard thus far. Wait for the right kingdom in the right way. Our prayers reveal our view of God, our view of ourselves, and our view of our future. We are never so good that we're beyond the need of God's grace, and we're never so bad that we're beyond the reach of God's grace. Come to Jesus with messy and empty hands. And then last week, Eric, everyone is looking for treasure. False treasure won't give us what we're looking for. And Jesus gives us the best treasure, the right treasure, the greatest treasure. 
Now, I got to be honest, every week has been a good message. Can I just for a moment settle in? The Lord did something in my heart listening to Eric in his message last week, though. I don't think I will ever forget the illustration of Legos. Wanting to have Legos and it finally getting to you glued. Now, with six boys, I remember what it was like to go to Legoland. We did that down in uh, Southern Florida. Uh, my boys were super excited. So to hear that these Legos were glued, I, I about wept listening to that illustration. And then I will never forget a camel, a cardboard camel that made its way up here. And I thought, I've never seen that passage like that before. Oh, it makes so much sense. The Lord's been gripping my heart through this series, even in the last few weeks, just trying to figure out, Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? Not preaching-wise, just period. What do you want me to do? What are you calling me to? Are you asking me to start something? Are you asking me to stop something? Just some quiet reflection. God, what, what are you calling? It's been great um, for me. Now, I want to warn you, uh, I am not uh, British, were you aware of that? So what that means is I'm not as reserved as the British people might be. Sometimes I'll get a little animated. I may even get a little loud. And you may get freaked out for just a little moment when I preach. I apologize in advance. Um, don't take it personally. Um, I just get excited sometimes about what this is saying. Now, what does this passage say? It says here, if you've got the NIV, which I think is what you use here, that Jesus again predicts his death. Now, this is going to be actually the sixth time in the book in which his death is predicted. All this, the third time in which Jesus is doing it rather overtly. Multiple times in there, Luke is alluding to the death of Christ. And what he is trying to get at, I really believe in this whole section, Luke is trying to tell us, uh, Eric made it abundantly clear for us last week as well. We all want something. And when I say want, I don't mean I want another cookie or biscuit. What do you call it here? I want another round thing that had some, some sort of candy inside of it out there, which is a fantastic idea for church. Take a break and go get loaded up on sugar. I like this church a lot. I want another one of those. That's not what Jesus is talking about here in this section. It's not just I want it to sun, uh, to, to, for the sun to come out. I want it to get warmer. I want whatever. Not that. I'm talking about in the depths of your soul, what do you want? We all want something. Now, here's the thing. We can't turn it off. We can do the best we can to tame it. We can pursue it in a variety of avenues, but we cannot shut it off because God is the one who put this deep-seated yearning inside of us for something. And I think intuitively all of us know that this world right here can't provide exactly what it is that I want. It's not that this world has a lot of bad things. It's that it can never fully satisfy. Are you married? Has your spouse taken away every single bit of your loneliness? Do you have children? Have your children taken, uh, have given you so much adventure that you, you long for nothing else? Are you the, the, the highest degree of education? Has it provided for you what it is that you thought it would provide for you? Whatever it is, we know intuitively this world is a good world. There's wonderful things here. It is never going to give my soul the depths of what it wants. 
That has got to be found somewhere else. So my question to you, what do you want? What is it that captures your heart most often? It's good to have simple wants. It's good to have complex wants. In this whole section, is given. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said this, want is a growing giant whom the coat of have was never large enough to cover. It's a great insight. Jesus predicts his death, I think right here, right now, and in this section, I think Luke is putting it in there, to put into context our deepest yearnings and desires. What do you want from Jesus? What are you hoping to get from God? What is it you are asking the Holy Spirit to do in your mind and in your heart? So Jesus says, I want you to know I'm about to go away. Now, look at the wording that it gives us in here. I think Luke is intentional. He takes the 12 aside. They're different from the rest of the group. And he says that we're going up to Jerusalem. Up meant literally uh, they were going up a hill, but it also meant spiritually speaking, they're going to the place which was historically seen as the gathering place, the resting place of God. They're going to a different environment. They're going to go up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about me is going to be fulfilled. And then he gives this list. And if you're one of the disciples right then listening to this list, you're thinking, dude, seriously, handed over to the Gentiles, mocked, insulted, spit, flogged, killed. Great verbs. Like what a great way to spend your weekend. Jesus says, this is what is going to happen now. Folks that were wondering who Jesus was, um, uh, uh, when when they heard him say these things, they thought, this guy is the Messiah, and that's not my vision as to what was going to happen to the Messiah. You may be having similar thoughts right now in your life. You may have said, look, I started to follow Christ, and it was six months ago or a year ago, or it's three years ago. You said, I was was following Christ, and where Christ has led me is not exactly what I was thinking and expecting and even hoping. Jesus tells them this is going to happen. But look, the disciples didn't understand. Why? Because the meaning was hidden. The meaning of what Jesus was saying, they just couldn't get a grasp on. Why mocked? Why spit? Why beaten? Let me ask you this. If I were to uh, tell you right now, I would say, I just want you to know, City Church, that I am God. You would probably think, man, it's been a good run. Glad you were here. And I hope you enjoy the, the, the football match. Uh, have a great trip back to uh, Florida and hope your congregation does well. But what if I were to say, here's what's going to happen, actually. On Wednesday night, I'm going to go to the Man City game. And in the Man City game, I'm going to be able to walk out onto the field. And when I walk out on the field, lightning is going to strike from heaven. It's going to strike me right on top of the head, and I'm going to drop down dead. The medical staff is going to come out. They're going to, to say, we've got to get to the hospital. Get to the hospital. They declare me dead. No brainwave activity, no heartbeat going on. And then they take me to the corner. And I'll tell you, what they're going to do is get me over here to that corner. And on the third day, I'm actually going to get up out of that office. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to come back here and greet you guys again on Sunday. 
Now, nobody would expect that to happen, but let me ask you this. What if I did go to the Man City game on Wednesday? And I walked out on the field, and lightning came down, and it struck me in the head, and I died right there. And the medical staff came out, and they declared me dead, went off to the corner, dead. And on the third day, I rose again. And what if I showed up again here on Sunday? What if it actually happened? Would you think for just a moment, I don't know who this dude is, but I do know this, he's not like us. There's something different, something, there's something intriguing about him. This is what Jesus did. Three times he looks at his disciples and says, I'm going to die. I know you think I'm a good dude, a good teacher. I'm telling you, there's more. So he's predicting his death, and then it's going to come about. Now, the next section Jesus is now approaching Jericho, and it tells us that a blind man is sitting by the roadside, and he is begging. You are used to this. I am used to this. We have folks in in our respective cities in which they are begging for various and sundry things. Many of us have compassion. Many times we'll take someone to eat. We'll we'll, we'll walk along. We'll do a lot of things, but it's not an unusual sight to see. Jesus is making his way. And then it tells us that the guy who is by the roadside begging, it says that he hears that Jesus is making his way by. So before the disciples' sense of sight, spiritually speaking, was covered, this guy's sight physically is actually covered, but his his sense of hearing is better than everyone else's, and he hears that there's this commotion going on, and so he asks, What's the deal? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth is making his way. And so here is the beggar sitting down. He's just waiting for folks to go. He can't really see much. He's just asking, hey, what's this? Jesus is going. Jesus? Yeah, Jesus is making his way. And here's what the scriptures tell us happens. It says, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I wish you could see your faces right now. (laughs) It says that he screams, and so then the crowd comes over to where he is. There's something there, and it tells us that he gets rebuked in the process. Dude, seriously. Do you know how unnecessary it is to scream? Do you realize how desperate you look? See, somebody who has no sight physically, who's sitting by the roadside, but has heard the stories that Jesus, who can do things for others, what nobody else can do, does not want to waste an opportunity to meet with Jesus. He's used to some folks helping. He's used to some folks doing a few things for him, but nobody has ever been able to give to him what it is that he desperately wants. And he wants to see. So since Jesus is making his way, he shouts, come on, man. That's not what we do. That's not our culture. That may be your culture, that whole screaming thing, but we're reserved in the process The guy does not care what other people think because he wants to see Jesus. Just out of curiosity. 
I don't know what your spiritual pilgrimage looks like. I don't know how it is that you go about pursuing the person of Jesus. But is there a desperation in your pursuit of him? Is there this sense of I have to meet with him? I must meet with him. Because I love my wife and my children and my friends and my coworkers, and they all provide great things. And there's a certain level of loneliness that does get taken away. And there's a certain level of friendship that does happen. All these things are good and right and wonderful. But nobody has been able to do for me what Jesus does for me. Or have you forgotten the wonder of what it's like to meet with the Savior of the universe? Is there a desperation to your pursuit? Is there a passion to your pursuit? Or is it, oh, it's the morning. I probably should get up and read something. I heard something about that at church. You should have some quiet time. Or I probably should set aside some time to pray in order to meet with God. I don't really have time for that. Or do you like like I do some of the hymns that get sung on Sunday morning? Holy, holy. What I love about this man right here is this this man is completely uninterested in how silly and foolish he looks. He is chasing after Jesus. Now, the best part of this passage comes next. Jesus stopped. Man, don't let that miss you. Crying out to the top of his lungs, being rebuked in the process, I won't do it again, but it says he cries out again in a loud voice, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then it says that Jesus... stops dead in his tracks. Where's Jesus going? He's going to a cross. They're going up to Jerusalem. He's going to to where he's going to provide redemption for the entire world. For all those who will come to him by faith, he's going to redeem them. The universe itself is going to get put back in order because of what Jesus is doing. And it says that there's a blind man begging, shouting, and Jesus stops dead in his tracks for this dude. My wife struggles every day of her life with depression. It's a public story. If she were here, she would be able to tell you a little bit more about it. One of my wife's greatest aspects of darkness that she experiences in in depression, she's a godly woman. She's a dear woman. She is incredibly disciplined. She she won't lay in bed um, because she's too disciplined for that, but, but she struggles with darkness and depression. And this is the word picture that she gave me when it finally clicked and understood. She said, David, I feel like God is on the outside of the room and the lights are on on the outside of that room and I'm there on the inside room here and it's dark and so I'm here and I'm I'm on a bunk bed and I feel like I'm three years old and I'm holding my arms out and saying, God, pick me up and his presence is there. He's on the outside, but it's a silhouette and I can't see his face. And I'm just asking, will you hold me? I don't know what your view of God is. I don't know how you've experienced him. Most of us have at least some form of a warped view of God. 
But what I know this, Jesus is a guy who when he is passing by on the greatest mission that has ever existed, here's an out-of-the-way beggar, blind, shouting out his name. He stops to listen. Now, Jesus then says, call him over here. The crowds bring him over there, and he asks him this question, which has been haunting me ever since I began to read it. What do you want me to do for you? If Jesus were to come to you right now, sit down with you, you have his attention, his undivided attention, and he were to ask you this question, what do you want me to do for you? What would your response be? What is it that you desperately want? What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that you have been praying for, for days, weeks, months, maybe even years? If God could get you one thing, what would you ask for? What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, then receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now, this is the the greatest need that this particular man was aware of, but I can't help but see the parallels here in the way that Luke makes this story written. So right before we had this rich young ruler who had everything, but it seems as though he had no spiritual vision. We have a beggar who has nothing but seems to have all the spiritual vision that is necessary. What do you want? I want to be able to see. And Jesus gives him his physical sight back, but what's been going all along in this guy's heart is he knows where to go for his need to be met. He knows that everything else can take its rightful place, but he knows to go to Jesus. Now, get this thought. The first thing that this guy lays eyes on is the person of Jesus. Never before being able to see a sunrise. Or maybe he he became blind at some point along the way, but for years it's been uh, unable to see the folks that he loves and cherishes. Unable to watch the sun go down or rise, unable to see water, unable to watch children dancing and playing, unable to see much of what happens in life. The first vision that he gets is a vision of Jesus. And if I'm this dude, I'm saying, I want to go try out these new puppies. I want to go and I want to see everything that I can possibly see. Thanks for giving me the vision. It's what I asked for. You're awesome. I'll come back to you whenever I can, but I want to go live the life that I want to live now. And it says here that this man chooses to do something else. Immediately, he received his sight and he followed Jesus, praising God, where all the people saw it and they also praised God. Jesus is the first sight that he sees and it says immediately then, he begins following Jesus wherever Jesus is going to go. This is where I want to actually close our time. What you and I are called to is a lifelong, relentless pursuit of the person of Jesus. What I don't want to do is what I've done so many times in in, in my spiritual pilgrimage. 
And that is I've made great plans, thought things through, and then asked God on the rear end to come and, and, and bless it. God, after I get everything planned, after I map out my life, would you just bless what it is that I want to do? What I want to do instead is say, Jesus, where are you going? And so if he goes forward, I go forward. If he goes to the side, I go to the side. If he goes backwards, I go backwards. If he stops, I stop. I just want to follow him. I'm 52 years old. I'm well over half of the time that I'm going to have here on the earth. And I don't want to spend the next several years trying to do what David wants to do. I've spent plenty of time doing that. That's natural. That's easy. I want to do something that only Christ can do. I want to go where only he can go. So can I beg you, urge you, plead with you in this? We have heard so much, and you hear it so regularly, and I'm so thankful. There is nothing that we can do to impress God. We can't make him love us more or love us less in the process. But what I do want to beg you to do is pick up your cross and follow Jesus. See, when Jesus is talking about dying, another time he said this is earlier in Luke chapter 9. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that mean practically speaking for us? It means that I come to the point in my life where I say, it is not my life anymore. I surrender all controls over to you. You have rights to my wife, my children, my job. It's all yours. Whatever you ask me to do with it, I will do. I don't own a thing. You own everything. He must deny himself, say no to himself, say no to his dreams so he can say yes to God's vision for us. Take up his cross daily. Which, yes, means be willing to die if necessary, but practically speaking, it means this. That's that daily choice of God, not my will, but thy will be done. And then it says, follow me. What do you want? What do you most want in life? Whatever it is, I'm sure it's a good thing. I will tell you this, though. It will only take its rightful place when it comes with Jesus. I encourage you to walk. In your walk, in your spiritual pilgrimage, you want to take the first step of grace. It's all about what God has done. And then the next step is going to be effort. And it's going to be God's grace that gives us this effort, but we're going to exhaust ourselves. We're going to dig into the scriptures, pray until I get uh, tired and exhausted. I want to read the scripture. I want to minister. I want to love until it hurts, all that. And then the next step is God's grace. And then it's effort and it's grace. And this is the spiritual walk. What I don't want to do is to get into life where I'm saying, I'm only going to focus only and exclusively on God's grace. Just grace, 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 grace. And what I don't want to do is become a legalist and say, That's work, 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 effort. I want to walk with God. Don't be afraid of a passionate pursuit of Jesus. Don't be afraid to give everything that you have. And don't be afraid when you get worn out in your spiritual pilgrimage. Because God's grace will be sufficient. City Church, thank you for letting me be here. Thanks for being a faithful presence in the city of Manchester. Thanks for honoring God. And I would encourage you and beg you, urge you, plead with you. Press on individually and collectively. Heavenly Father, thank you for 
who it is that you are and what it is that you have done in us and through us. God, I'm asking that you would pour out your blessings here on City Church. Would you make City Church even more prosperous according to your definition of prosperity? Would you give them a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness? Would you give them more compassion for the world around them? Father, would you um, uh, direct and guide our hearts, both in Tallahassee, Florida, and Manchester, England, that we uh, would be people that when we get to the end of our lives would say the same thing that Paul said. We're tired. We're being poured out like a drink offering. But we are grateful for your grace. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.